welcome back. Today's topic is anger. If you have issues with anger and find yourself flying into a rage often and you find no resolution and it continues to affect your life negatively, it's time you get the tools to end your struggle with anger. Let's get started with figuring out when anger is a problem. So in small doses, anger can be appropriate, normal, and and a healthy emotion. We all experience anger. It helps us stand up for ourselves when we've been wronged. It helps us to protect our needs and enforce boundaries at times. And sometimes, however, anger can have negative repercussions. So here are some examples of how anger can be harmful or cause unwanted consequences. Anger is a problem when it negatively affects other people. Anger can drive people to act in ways that is unpleasant, that is harmful to people around them. This can result in straining or losing important relationships. It can cause you to lose your job. It can cause you to be excluded from a group that you really place on high importance. It can be difficult to maintain any kind of healthy relationships when your anger is out of control. So you want to think about how your anger has impacted other people. Have you said or done things that have damaged relationships? Have you ever said or done anything out of anger that caused you to be written up or fired from a job? Anger is a problem when it hinders your performance at work or even at school. Anger can lead to breakdowns in communication. Anger makes it difficult to work with other people. And being preoccupied with anger hurts your ability to concentrate on the task at hand, whether it's school or work. So think about that. At school or at work, whichever the case may be, has your anger stopped or interfered with your ability to focus. Anger is a problem when it negatively affects your health and well-being because it affects both emotional and physical health. Physically, anger contributes and exasperates problems such as heart attacks, heart disease, high blood pressure. You can even stroke out you see people with a vein pop in their forehead or neck when they become very angry. That's because your blood pressure shoots through the roof. Um, emotionally, anger contributes to anxiety, alcohol use, drug use, and depression. Anger is a problem when it is too intense. Even when your anger is justified, it can go too far. Physical aggression can lead to severe consequences. You may harm yourself or others. You may damage property. And you could even end up in legal issues. Verbal outbursts that are out of proportion to a situation can lead to 
job loss, loss of relationships, legal consequences, and other consequences. So there are several techniques for anger management. And I will share those with you after the entire presentation is done. So ending your struggle with anger. Let's think in terms of DBT and ACT therapy. ACT therapy is called acceptance and commitment therapy. DBT, of course, is dialectical behavioral therapy. And in dialectical behavioral therapy, remember the theory is that two things can be true at the same time. Two things on the opposite end of the spectrum can both be true at the same time. You can be angry and you can need to manage that anger. Both true at the same time. You can be angry but it's disproportionate to the situation, which requires compassion. Those are both true at the same time. You can be angry and you can think to yourself, I will never be able to handle this. I can't do this. I need to, I need to bust that person's face in. And at the same time, it could be true that you're overreacting and the other person didn't really do anything to warrant you beating their face in. So the emotion of anger is neither good nor bad. It just is. And like any emotion, it's conveying a message. In this case, it's telling you the situation is upsetting, unjust, or threatening. Chronic and explosive anger can have serious consequences for your relationships, your health, your state of mind. And I don't need to tell you this, but consider for a moment how much responding with anger has impacted these areas of your life. Have you been broken? Have you had broken and strained relationships? Have you had illnesses and poor health? Do you suffer with excessive stress? Do you have difficulties at school and work? Do you drink a little too much? Do you smoke a little too much weed? Do you use other substances to self-medicate? The cost of anger can be so high and it can really take a toll on you and get in the way of living your best life. So if you've tried but you've had little success in trying to control the problem of anger, it's time to try some new approaches. Approaches that don't involve attempts to really control the anger. The approach that I'm going to cover today is acceptance and commitment therapy. So it will help you experience anger without acting on it. This is also very similar, if not the same as DBT, okay? You're going to experience the anger. You're going to sit with the feeling of anger, but not act on it. You will leave it alone and simply experience it as a thought or a feeling. Rather than trying to replace that anger, negative thoughts with those that are less angry or positive, you're going to learn to watch them, all of them, with dispassionate interest and without getting caught up in them. So this can diffuse the sting of anger. It can soften its punch and weaken its power 
to get you off track. That way you're in control of your life and you can live the life you want to live without struggling with anger. This presentation will have exercises and tools that I will share with you and I'm going to define the concept of anger and deconstruct it. I'll explain it as a process. So I'll explore with you the value in becoming an observer of your anger reactions and explain how to do that. I will help you to consider how the mind and the thought process influence anger and the importance of finding compassion and acceptance toward and with yourself and others. I'm going to introduce a variety of tools and exercises, but the real work happens after you listen to this episode. If you decide to take these tools and practice them going forward and apply them to your life, that's where the real opportunity lies. That's where you can start working on ending the struggle with anger. So the concept of anger, it's an emotional state and it varies in intensity from mild irritation to intense fury and rage. It's a completely normal, usually healthy human emotion. So like other emotions, it's uh, accompanied by physiological and biological changes. When you get angry, your heart rate and blood pressure go up. Your levels of energy hormones, adrenaline and no noradrenaline go up so anger is a natural adaptive response to a threat it inspires powerful often aggressive feelings and behaviors which allow us to fight and defend ourselves when we feel attacked a certain amount of anger is necessary for survival but on the other hand we cannot physically lash out at every person or object that irritates or annoys us laws, social norms, and common sense put limits on how far our anger can take us. Anger is expressed in a variety of ways. Some of those ways are a little healthier than others. Assertive expression is usually the best way to communicate feelings of anger because you express them directly and in a non-threatening way to the person involved. It also prevents the buildup of unnecessary anxiety and stress for the person expressing themselves. A statement such as, I feel angry when you do this, is an example of assertive anger. Aggressive, passive, and passive-aggressive behaviors are not healthy and are sometimes even destructive. So aggressive anger involves eruptive behaviors directed outward at others. There may be intention to hurt them emotionally, physically, or psychologically. Yelling put-downs and hitting people are examples of aggressive anger. Passive anger involves avoidance. You're not acknowledging or admitting to your anger and you're not dealing with it. And it can be expressed through self-blaming behaviors, evasiveness, avoidance, spreading rumors, gossiping, attempting to dampen your own feelings with alcohol and other substances, taking a defeatist attitude, 
and holding a grudge. Passive-aggressive behaviors involve indirect expression of hostility through procrastination, stubbornness, sullenness, or deliberate and repeated failure to accomplish required tasks. There is a denial of any aggressive intent, which is why it can be so frustrating to deal with. So, because anger can be such a difficult emotion to deal with, we find ourselves at times using less than healthy forms of expression, and that's pretty normal. A lot of people become passive-aggressive when they're irritated. And when we recognize that we are communicating in aggressive or passive or passive-aggressive ways, we can look to change that behavior to a more effective, more healthy, assertive approach. So for some people, dealing with anger ineffectively has become a big issue. And that dominant response to anger are behaviors that are unhealthy, being passive, aggressive, or passive aggressive. This ineffective and unhealthy way of dealing with your anger has probably had a lot of negative impacts on many types of relationships. And this is, this is your sign that there needs to be a new and different approach to dealing with your anger. Chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, the ways that you've tried to manage your anger haven't worked. So when we're angry, we're typically caught up in the experience. We're not trying to deconstruct it or break it down into parts or stages. Because if we did, we would realize that the experience of anger does involve a process. And there are distinct, separate parts that we cycle through, perhaps once, maybe multiple times. So let's break it down now. If you understand the process and parts, it can help us to learn and observe rather than be overrun by anger. So think about becoming an observer of your own thoughts, feelings, impulses, and behaviors. If you want to watch something, anything, you have to plant yourself firmly in the present moment. So you want to be mindful and you decide that you're going to do it. If you need to hear important instructions from your boss, you make a conscious decision to dial in and pay attention, right? So it's the same way if you want to learn to observe your anger and not be consumed by it. You can decide to experience fully what happens when you get angry. You can make this choice anytime, even right now, and commit to it. One way to stay in the present moment is by listening to your body. So listen to your body by noticing how you're breathing. How fast is your heart beating? What is your posture like? And where are the areas of attention in your body? You might observe significant sensations in your body, areas that hurt or feel hot or heavy or shaky or tight. This is not necessarily an easy skill to learn. It takes practice. You can also stay in the present by noticing and keeping track of your conscious mind, your thoughts, emotions, and your drives. Throughout an anger episode, you need to keep asking yourself these questions. Why am I feeling angry? What am I feeling besides anger? 
What judgments am I making? What good or bad, right or wrong thoughts are going through my mind? And what am I driven to do right now? So what's underneath the anger? How are you judging the situation? Is it good, bad, right or wrong? And what are you feeling like the impulse to do right now? Do you feel like punching a wall? Do you feel like screaming and hurling insults? Do you want to attack somebody? Do you want to break all the dishes in your kitchen? Think about in that moment, what am I driven to do right now? As an observer, simply notice what's going on. The thoughts or emotions that you're having, any sensations or impulses you feel in your body. There is no good or bad, no right or wrong. Just observe and take note. And if you find yourself judging, just observe that without judging the judging. Don't judge yourself for judging. (laughs) Don't get caught in that trap. Just say, okay, I'm judging. Let me stop. And in the end, a judgment is really just another thought. So being an observer allows you to end the struggle. It's one way of dropping the rope in a tug of war with anger. This is easier said than done, though. I, I totally get it. Angry thoughts and feelings are so strong and so powerful, it seems like you're possessed by them. And in the moment you experience them, angry thoughts and feelings are difficult to distinguish from your own separate identity. It's almost like you become anger. It becomes difficult to see that while thoughts, worries, and feelings are part of you, they are not you. Feelings are temporary. Feelings come and go. You do not own them. You cannot make them go away if you dislike them. You cannot hold on to them even if you like them. One way to imagine the distinction between your identity and your thoughts, feelings, and actions is to think of yourself as being a house. Just as the house provides the space for people to live in, along with their furniture and other belongings, we provide the space in which our experiences can occur. The structure of the house remains the same regardless of who lives there or how it's furnished or decorated. The house simply provides a space in which living can occur. And when we're able to observe, our observing self is separate from our thoughts, feelings, and actions. Notice that the thoughts, feelings, and actions are also separate from one another. The idea is that by strengthening your ability to observe, you see choice. You have a choice. A choice to not respond or a choice to respond. And if you do, you have a choice of how you will respond. Over time, increasing your skills on being an observer to your anger will loosen the grasp that anger has held you in the past. Attempting to manage anger, rage, and unresolved hurt and pain by controlling it is not effective. Controlling anger doesn't work the same way that control works in other areas of your life. Holding on to anger is like grasping a hot coal with the intent of throwing it at someone else, yet you are the one who gets burned. 
Trying to control areas of your life where you don't have much control is a surefire guarantee of disappointment and anger. There are situations where desirable choices seem like they don't exist. Um, Severe illness, deception by a partner, getting laid off from a job, to name a few examples. People can usually see that these types of situations are out of their control and they don't beat themselves up for not being able to make things turn out differently. But most angry people feel that they must struggle big struggles just to get a grip on their angry thoughts and feelings. Struggling with what you think and feel may be how you have learned to cope with your anger. You may even beat yourself up for not being able to control the hurt, the pain, the disappointment. And you're not alone. It's completely normal human behavior to think that you should be able to control these things. But the problem with control strategies is they work just enough to keep your painful feelings at bay, but in the long run you're left still feeling angry and hurt. Once the cycle of the struggle and control is set into motion, it can take over and become the dominant feature in your life. The good news is that constructive choices are available. You have a choice. You have to learn to distinguish what you can control from what you cannot control. Everybody's anger stems from two sources. Struggle to control other people or struggle to control your painful emotions such as anger, fear, and shame. Angry people go to great lengths to exert control over other people. Operating under mistaken assumption that others should behave, think, or act the way they do, the simple truth is that other people don't like feeling controlled, just like you don't. If you're trying to control other people, it sends a message that you don't accept them for who they are. You are expressing a lack of trust for their judgment, and you're putting them beneath you. Attempting to control other people, your mind tells you two big lies. First, that you have the right to control other people, and second, that you actually have the ability to control other people. Both of these are fundamentally false. They are big, fat lies. You cannot force your way into the mind of another person just as other people cannot force their way into your head and dictate how you feel, think, or behave. If the people who know you were asked to answer these questions about you, how would they have selected the same answers? It's important to question, it's important to consider these questions. Efforts to control other people eventually fuel anger, frustration, conflict, bitterness, alienation, in both you and the other people. I will get you that list um, at the end of this presentation, by the way. When you engage in controlling behaviors, there's a negative downward spiral of resentment and frustration. For example, you decide to try to control your spouse and make them fold laundry more often. Your spouse complies, but doesn't do it the way you want them to. 
or they comply or they ignore you. So in an attempt to control your spouse, you ramp up your efforts, you nag, you threaten, and your spouse pulls further away and continues to ignore you or go against your request. Negative feelings increase, the pattern continues, and you're in a downward spiral. You may think, well, maybe I can't control other people, but I can control how I feel. Now this sounds sensible, sounds like a good solution, but it's another dead end. Um, Control over your emotional reactions is really just an illusion. Just as much as your desire or belief that you can control others is also an illusion. Numerous studies, for example, by Purden, 1999, and Wegner, 1994, have shown that when people act to get rid of emotional and psychological pain, they end up instead with more of it. All of what we know about dealing with human emotional pain boils down to a simple fact. You can't keep your unpleasant thoughts and emotions from burning you in the way you can pull your hand away from a hot stove. There's no on and off switch. In fact, trying to control unpleasant emotions, internal bodily sensations, and even disturbing thoughts will almost always backfire. It's like if I tell you right now, don't think about a white elephant, you're immediately going to picture a white elephant. You get more of the very thing you don't want to think and feel. And this happens because your body is a system with a built-in system of feedback loops, your brain and your nervous system. When you act against parts of this system by suppressing, avoiding, and stuffing painful feelings, it sends out reverberations to all other parts of your system. This mind-body connection is like a sensitive spider web in this respect. Everything is connected. Think of the law of attraction as well. While you are thinking about these painful thoughts and feelings that you're trying to suppress, you're putting those painful thoughts and feelings out to the universe and what goes up must come down, what goes out comes back. So in terms of the law of attraction, you're going to get more of those feelings because you're focused on those feelings. Suppression and control take an enormous effort and in a spider web the effort required to keep one part of the system in check sends small vibrations eventually that return to whatever it is you're trying to keep at bay suppressing those unpleasant unpleasant experiences be they thoughts memories anger anxiety hurt or bodily sensations actually make matters worse And why, you may ask, is that? Well, maybe we can draw that parallel, trying not to think about a white elephant. Go ahead and do not think about a white elephant. No matter what, I don't want you to think about a white elephant right now, okay? The simple lesson here is this. Control works against you when applied to unwanted and painful aspects of your private world. Just as it works against you when you try to impose it on other human beings. 
In most cases, you're sending a message that diminishes your own and other people's humanity and dignity. That is no way to live. So you have to come to terms with the fact that deliberate control is not a solution, not an option, and a very poor choice. All efforts to suppress and control anger are fundamentally about pain avoidance. The goal is to make the hurt go away. This goal is unattainable. It's a total dead end. So covering up hurt with anger does not make the hurt go away at all. It may show up as depression, anxiety, panic attacks, or physical symptoms uh, that can include headaches, backaches, chronic fatigue, ulcers, IBS. I don't have to convince you that none of these are good for you, right? So where do you have control? You do have control over your choices. You do have control over your actions. And you do have control over your destiny. You'll have full responsibility for the choices that you make. And when I say responsibility, I'm saying it hyphenated. Responsibility. Coming to terms with this can feel sobering and liberating. This is empowerment for all of you who struggle with anger. You can't choose whether you feel hurt or angry, yet you can decide what you do with it. You can choose to ruminate on the hurt and danger and run from it and bury it and hide it. You also have the option of doing nothing about those feelings and thoughts. You can decide if you want just to let them be or actively meet them with compassion and patience. Every moment of your life is about a choice and you can free yourself from being a slave to your impulses, your resentment, your anger. You are free to choose how you respond to triggers for anger and what you do with that emotional pain and anger when you feel it. These are some specific places where you have the power to choose. Meeting your hurt and anger with compassion and forgiveness versus struggling with it to stuff it or deny it. Hearing what others have to say, even if you disagree with them, versus refusing to listen and giving them advice they do not want. Speaking words of acceptance and understanding versus words of judgment and blame. Letting go of old hurts and resentments and painful memories versus holding on to them and being a wound collector. Practicing patience with others and with yourself versus blowing up in anger and frustration. Acting in ways that uphold your humanity and dignity as well as that of others or acting in ways that shame and demean yourself and others. Moving forward in your life with anger or struggling with it and remaining stuck. Now let's talk about actions. Your actions 
are anything that you do with your hands, feet, and mouth. How you respond to thoughts, memories, physical sensations, and feelings that are dished out by your body and mind. So let's say you're feeling hurt, then you act on it. Maybe you lash out with blame and accusations. Maybe you shut down, stonewall, and withdraw. These are both actions. Alternatively, you might do nothing about the hurt and simply notice it for what it is, not for what your mind says it is. Either way, you're doing something, so it's an action. You know how difficult it is to control your feelings of anger. You may also have difficulty controlling your anger behaviors, your actions. Impulses to act are strong when you're angry, and it's easy to feel overwhelmed by them. But even an impulse to act is still a feeling. There's a split second between the impulse and the action when you can intervene, determining what you're going to do and how you're going to respond. You can step back and ask yourself, is it really necessary to act on this emotion or this thought? You have the control in the moment, no matter how powerful the anger, feelings, hurt, and impulses to act are. You are in control. You are the one with the choice. So your choice of actions will help define who you are and what your life will be about. The effect of your choices and actions will determine what your life will become. In other words, your destiny. This doesn't mean that the outcome of your choices and your actions will always be what you desire. Remember, you can't control what others do, think, or feel. And there are, there are many events in life, both good and bad, that occur outside of your control. So what most people hope for is that the cumulative effect of their choices and actions will yield a sense that their life was well lived. Everything you do from here on adds up to that. Choice is destiny. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Okay, back to work. So let's turn to the topic of the mind and the way in which the mind generates anger, angry feelings and behaviors. Albert Ellis was a prominent 20th century psychologist and he said, thinking that gets us into trouble, other people must treat me considerately and kindly and in the way I want them to treat me. And if they don't, they deserve to be blamed, damned, and punished for their inconsideration. We are hardwired to evaluate everything that happens to us and around us. Our prefrontal cortex, that part of our brain that uses language to evaluate experience, can literally manufacture anger by using judgment, attribution, and assumed intent. 
Judgment is a natural spillover of the mind's tendency to categorize experiences in black or white terms, using black or white thinking. So with judgment, your mind is using the same strategies it has used to evaluate experiences as pleasurable or painful, safe or dangerous, good or bad, and now it's judging other people and their behavior as right or wrong. This is a critically important shift. So with judgment, your mind is declaring something or someone to be absolutely and objectively good or bad. Experience is no longer about subjective feelings of pleasure and pain. It's about that intrinsic moral worth of your experiences and the people around you. You compare them to a standard of what should be. And if they don't measure up to your standard, you'll get angry. So, remember, cognitive distortions, stopping stupid thoughts. Please review it if you have issues with anger. Review it and reframe those negative thoughts. So black and white judgments force you into the psychological straitjacket of good, bad, right, wrong, and your way is the only way. And then you basically can't see beyond your own nose because that judgment will mask your ability to connect with other dimensions of reality. And the mask of judgment blocks your ability to recognize the complex needs, fears, and hopes that motivate other people. And the needs, fears, and hopes that are not very different from your own, in fact. So a form of judgment is called toxic labeling. And in toxic labeling, your mind will transform the very normal process of recognizing and labeling an experience into a series of uh, major judgments. You know, like, people are stupid, they're incompetent, they're crazy, they're lazy, and so on. And these toxic labels are, um, at the core, an indictment of worth used to legitimize anger and revenge. They're also very difficult to shake once you apply them. So our mind is structured to relate underlying causes to events. We seek to figure out the why of everything. We want to know why this happened, why they said that, why, why, why. The natural tendency to make cause and effect connections really goes sour when we have a painful experience which is an effect. And our minds work to figure out why, and then we look for somebody to blame, which is the cause. Instead of thinking, something's wrong, I'll find the source and fix it. We get trapped in the blame game, which sounds more like, something's wrong, I'm in pain, I'll find who did this to me, and I'll attack them until they fix it. So you see the difference there? Toxic versus healthy. Notice how um, blame will keep you helpless because as long as you're using blame, you're, you're depending on the other person to solve your problem. And you may use anger flowing from the blame game as a tool to coerce and try to control other people. Blaming is a major source of misery. It does not undo the past. It does not fix the pain. What it does is it keeps you stuck and alienated from the very people who could help you live a better life. So the problems 
and your pain will continue. And your anger will grow from episodic, having an episode here and there, to chronic anger, where it's a constant, toxic, sickening, rageful anger. You'll have the shortest fuse ever if you don't get it kind of pulled back a little. So escaping the blame game requires that you take responsibility and accountability for you. When you're in pain, you need to be the agent of change. Look around to see who's responsible. That's not going to help you. Look in the mirror because you and you alone are responsible for your own experience. Blame keeps you from seeing this simple fact. It leaves you waiting to be helped, wanting, desperate to be rescued and vindicated. All of this just fuels the flames of more blame because the source of help and responsibility begins and ends with you and only you. Assumed intent becoming the mind reader. So you're hardwired to organize experience into cause and effect. And as humans, we just hate ambiguity, right? We are especially upset when other people do things we don't understand. So our minds try to solve the mystery with something we call assumed intent. Assumed intent is our effort to explain ambiguous behavior in other people by trying to guess their intentions, feelings, and motives. Essentially, you're trying to be a mind reader. The trouble is, we are almost always wrong, and since the intentions are motives, we guess are usually negative. We assume somebody else's intentions are negative and we get angry, and a lot of times it's over nothing. The assumption of, it, of intent can turn into a nightmare when we get it wrong. And getting it wrong is so often what we do. So how, how the compulsion to evaluate affects communication. Barriers to healthy communication are a direct outgrowth of your mind's tendency to judge, blame, and assume intent. Collectively, the compulsion to evaluate. These tendencies to put up walls and turn people who are simply different from us or who disagree with us into an adversary or an enemy. The mind wants to label them as wrong or bad somehow, and the mind tells you they are misguided, stupid, sinful, morons. You may feel compelled to show them their errors, to correct them. Whether the issue is sexual behavior, political convictions, or something as harmless as washing the dishes, the outcome is always the same. People who are different, who do things differently, or who disagree, arouse anger, and they must be vanquished and beaten and proven wrong. So in a right versus wrong universe, there's little room for much else, including the possibility that you not they, might be mistaken or wrong. The angry mind is closed. It's a closed mind, and it leaves little space for doubt, second thoughts, or other possibilities. The compulsion to evaluate 
is the source of all defensiveness. Instead of exploring and seeking truth, our words are like little soldiers trying to hold the perimeter and you fight off the assault of new ideas. Your machine gun, the the merest hint that you've got it wrong. Um, conversations are about winners and losers. Being right means being the winner. So you can use any kind of verbal pyrotechnics to a- avoid your defeat. Losing in this system would mean you are mistaken, vulnerable, or worse. That at the very core, you are the one who is bad. There are two additional impacts that follow the compulsion to evaluate. The first outcome has to do with the fact that evaluation, by definition, involves wearing emotional blinders. These blinders leave you so consumed with defending your territory that you likely miss what's really going on. You don't see when others are hurt. You don't see when others need validation. You don't see when other people are trying desperately to connect with you. You ignore all of that vital information, including your own deeply felt pain and hurt, because it has nothing to do with winning. How the compulsion to evaluate creates resentment. So you're judging, you're blaming, you're assuming. These are mental habits that are made worse by those ruminations, those constant loops of thoughts that go round and round in your brain. When you ruminate, you get stuck in these loops, endlessly recycling the past through the same good and bad judgments, the same toxic labels. Over and over, you play these tapes in your head of what someone did or said, blaming them for your pain and your hurt. The result is chronic resentment and a growing need for revenge. And you are feeling righteous and strong and you imagine justice finally being done. But what comes of this really? What have you, what have you done by doing this? Have you really created what you want? Does the pain or hurt ever get better or does it stay? Is the relationship somehow healed? Or, or is it true that nothing has changed? These ruminations provide a moment of relief, an assertion of your own righteousness, and a shiny fantasy of revenge that just feels so good in your head, right? But the long-term emotional consequence is you are hopeless and you are stuck. And the resentment deepens and the pain goes on and on and overflows into various areas of your life. How the compulsion to evaluate triggers destructive behaviors. The more that you ruminate and the more that you believe and buy into your own evaluative ruminations, the stronger the impulse gets to hurt other people. In truth, evaluations are just mental constructs. They are no more real than Darth Vader and no more true than a fantasy of winning the lottery. As you deepen your belief in a negative evaluation, when you really buy into the judgment, it then takes a life of its own 
it starts to require action. Something must be said to set the offending person straight. Something must be done to slap them awake so they'll finally see the error of their ways. It's like a phenomenal psychologist calls emotional reasoning starts to take control. Emotional reasoning goes like this, okay? If I feel pain, someone must have done it to me. If someone did this to me, I have to hit back so hard they never do this to me again. This is a schoolyard logic, totally adolescent way of thinking. The same kind of thinking that gets a lot of kids beat up. It's the same logic that motivates drive-by shootings and the same kind of logic that destroys friendships and ends marriages. I'm hurt, you did it, you're bad, I'm going to get you back for that. So what to do? Your mind evaluates and labels things to assign significance to your life. This is what your brain does. It's a natural, normal process, and it's often very helpful and healthy. The trick is to take your mind a little less seriously, to watch it work without believing everything it tells you. This is easier said than done. I know, and as as we know, when, when the mind speaks with judgment, it's loud. It's a loud voice. And one of the keys to becoming less ruled by what your mind yells at you is to learn the skill of watching your mind. You can do it. It just takes time and practice. So lastly, the topic of acceptance. Acceptance just means you're willing to see things as they are, deeply, truthfully, and completely. And this attitude sets the stage for acting in the most potent and healthy way in your life, no matter what is happening. A lot of people feel trapped by their anger. They're unable to retreat or withdraw once their anger is triggered. And it's like being launched into an autopilot, into a tight space where there doesn't seem to be any room for other choices or other ways of responding. Another important part of learning a new way of responding to anger is approaching it with acceptance and compassion. This might sound counterintuitive, but meeting your pain with compassion cuts the anger off at the root, leaving it unable to grow and spread. And I'm not talking about passive acceptance. Passive acceptance is resignation, a sense of giving up and losing. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about active acceptance. This is about action and doing. Think of active acceptance as compassion in action. Compassion in action. It involves softening your mind and heart to the anger and hostility that is in you and connecting with them in a present moment. You do this by letting go of the struggle with your anger, your hostility, and your hurt. You let go by bringing kindness and gentle attention to the unwanted anger-related thoughts and feelings by simply allowing them to be there. Don't try to suppress them. Don't try to change them. And do not act on them. 
This takes time and commitment and practice. So here's a four-step process for experiencing active acceptance. Acknowledge your anger. When you sense anger coming, just acknowledge, there it is, there's the anger, I'm angry, I need to take care of this. Don't try to pull away from it or make it go away. Step two, accept the situation as it is. Radical acceptance. Recognize your mind at work. Label what it's doing. There's my mind judging. There's my mind blaming. But do not take action and learn not to automatically believe or do what your mind is telling you to do. Recognize and acknowledge your thoughts and feelings for what they are. Restate, this jerk could have been paid could have paid more attention to I'm having the thought that this jerk could have paid more attention. Step 3, identify the hurt, fear and judgment. What is fueling the flames of anger and the hurt that underlies it so you can start the process of letting go of them. Which of your buttons has been pushed? What has you scared? What is hurting you? Notice the evaluative statements your mind is coming up with about you, the people in your life, and the current situations. Step four, respond with forgiveness and compassion. Respond to the pain inside you with kindness, love, patience, and compassion. Experiment with compassion exercises. Practice one act of kindness toward yourself every day. Focus in particular on TLC issues when you feel tired, stressed, lonely, or have a craving for food stimulation or praise. Practice one act of kindness towards someone else every day. So let me close with a, with a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. What we fear of doing most is usually what we most need to do. So the approach I discussed here today, learning to observe your experience of anger, loosen your grip on control, be compassionate and kind to yourself, and find acceptance and patience takes time and practice to develop. However, you take these tools, you put them into action, and the payoff can be tremendous. Commit to action and be patient with yourself. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tools and exercises to end your struggle with anger. Assessing the cost of anger. Your struggle with anger has cost you in the coin of energy, of deep and painful regret, of damage to your closest bonds, your sense that your efforts at anger control and all the ways those efforts have failed have left a deep mark on you. You probably already have a good idea 
how much responding with anger has cost you in the various areas of your life. Have you experienced broken and strained relationships, sickness and poor health, excessive stress, difficulties at school or work? Do you have issues with alcohol or other substances? The interpersonal cost. Summarize the effects of anger on your relationships. Have friendships changed or been lost? Have family members been alienated? Do they avoid you? Do you avoid them? Have you lost a marriage or a romantic relationship due to your anger? What about careers? How many jobs have you lost due to your anger? Have you quit or have you been fired because of anger? Um, This includes over-anger as well as passive-aggressive anger such as slacking off at work, being late, being less productive, bad-mouthing other people, gossip, and so on. Have co-workers ever been alienated by your anger? Has your anger affected uh, school when you were in school or if you're in school now? Does it affect your relationships with teachers and your peers and the administration? Think about the cost to your health. Anger has a big effect on your health. There's a lot of research showing that anger stresses your body. So do you have any physical problems that are stress-related? Do you tend to get sick often? Do you have a low immune system? Do you experience physical symptoms during or after an angry episode? Um, Examples would be chest pain, upset stomach, headache, muscle tension. Do you uh, sometimes ruminate and stew over anger to the point of feeling sick where you throw up? Or to the point where you can't sleep? You stay up all night ruminating on your anger? Think about the energy cost. Outline, Outline how anger has affected your energy. Do you... Does your anger sometimes feel make you feel exhausted? Have you put time and energy into disappointing efforts at control? Have your attempts to manage anger left you feeling discouraged, fatigued, and worn out? And what are the emotional costs? What has anger cost you emotionally? How much guilt do you carry for the damage that has been done by your anger? How do regrets about your angry episodes affect you emotionally? Are you affected by relationship loss due to anger? Do you suffer depression or hopelessness in the wake of your anger? So that's the consequences, and I would add to that. Think about the legal consequences and consequences to even your credit. If you are renting a home or apartment and you're one of those who likes to punch holes in the walls or break windows um, or be destructive and just break everything in sight, you're going to get evicted or when you move out, that landlord will put a bad mark on you. So you can't use that person as a reference when you try to get a new place. You could also end up having the police called on you, and you could be thrown in jail. Okay, thinking of the consequences is tool number one. Here's tool number two. Take stock of your anger management history. 
The first part is to look at people who might trigger your anger. So you draw a little grid with three sections and seven columns down. So if you've experienced anger in relation to one, one or another such person in your life, fill in the corresponding boxes in columns two and three, or use a separate piece of paper. So you want to write a list of the people that trigger you, and here are some suggestions. Parents, other family members, supervisors, co-workers, friends, your partner or spouse, or other people. And then next to your trigger people, write what your coping strategy has been, what your behavior has been. How do you cope and manage to control your anger when you're ignited? What do you do with that feeling? Do you try to keep it from erupting? Do you push it down? Do you talk about it? Do you tell yourself not to react? Do you reach for a drink? Do you smoke a joint? Do you beat yourself up? Do you explode? Do you promise people you're going to change? And then in column three, describe the outcome of your anger management efforts. Have you ever succeeded in controlling aggressive behavior? Have you been able to protect your relationships? Have you dealt with a trigger feeling such as shame or guilt in ways that don't ignite anger? Think about both the short term and long term as you respond to these questions. Most importantly, what have you traded in or lost because of anger management control efforts? Here are some examples of what you might write in the outcome column. You might write lost time or energy, frustration, missed opportunity, a diminished relationship, end of relationship, or activities you might care or enjoy, care about or enjoy. Some of the losses may be similar to the costs you outlined in the previous example of consequences. So I'll read off a couple of uh, on the example page of what they wrote. People triggers. On people triggers, I will choose supervisor. So your supervisor, it says, my supervisor is a trigger. My boss criticizes my work. Coping strategy. I get cold, distant, tell him he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Outcome. Used to be friends with my supervisor. Now he doesn't invite me to do things anymore. Here's another. My friends. They trigger me because friends don't keep promises and they're never on time. Your coping strategy. You don't say anything and you pretend you're okay with it. The outcome. You withdraw and you stop calling them. You feel disgusted and you think about it for a long time. So that's a couple examples. Here's, a, here's another good one. Other drivers on the road. I get triggered when they cut me off. Your coping strategy. I seethe, I shout at them in my car, and I lay on the horn. The outcome. They flip me the bird. I've had two speeding tickets the last year, and I had one person follow me and pull a gun on me. So, those are some examples of that activity. Okay, here's another tool and exercise in five pieces. Number one. 
pre-anger feelings. The first component, your pre-anger, this is emotion as well as physiological sensation that precedes your anger. Most typically, pre-anger emotions are painful and something you would like to avoid. So shame and guilt are excellent examples here. Both feelings attack your basic sense of self-worth. They create a feeling that you're bad or wrong. Another example is hopelessness. A lot of male depression, which has hopelessness at its root, shows up in relationships as anger. The experience of hopelessness is muted by the high-energy emotions of anger and disgust. Other pre-anger feelings include hurt and anxiety. Both create an alarm reaction. With hurt, you feel the sudden risk of abandonment, and with anxiety, you experience imminent danger. Bodily sensations play a huge role in your pre-anger experience. Tension in your abdomen, shoulders, or jaw can be a harbinger of upset. Feelings of heat or heaviness, agitation, headache, shakiness, and others are frequently mentioned precursors to an outburst of anger. Becoming angry is a classic way to avoid those feelings. Instead of you being wrong, anger turns the tables and makes everything the other person's fault. Number two, trigger thoughts. The second component of the anger process is your trigger thoughts. These include painful memories and images elicited by the provoking incident. So whatever is happening in front of you right now that's triggering you is, is causing old wounds from childhood or from the past to bubble up inside of you. And recollection of the past hurt, failure, loss, and so on is so unpleasant to the point where you just desperately want to avoid it. And you might not be thinking about that time your dad violently beat you with a belt, but the, the sensation, the emotions are there. So you might not correlate the two in the moment, but the feelings come back. So trigger thoughts also tend to be good, bad, right, wrong judgments about yourself and others. In fact, anger is virtually impossible unless your mind comes up with some sort of judgment. Trigger thoughts usually paint you as the victim and blame everybody else for your pain. They often contain broad, level, broad labels such as stupid, incompetent, selfish, crazy, lazy, wrong, bitch, asshole, fuckface. You start coming up with all kinds of labels for other people. So those are trigger thoughts. Number three, the feeling of anger. The third component is the anger feeling itself. It either comes on gradually or it's a sharp, sudden rage. This arousal typically consists of autonomic nervous system responses, such as pounding, rapid heartbeat, faster breathing, hyperventilating, trembling hands or legs, clenched jaw, clenched fist, muscle tension, hot or flushed feeling in the face. Number four, the impulse to act. The arrival of anger feelings usually generate a fourth component of the experience, your impulse to act. This impulse often feels indistinguishable 
from the trigger thoughts and the angry feelings. But if you watch carefully, you can see them as distinct individual states of the process. The high energy generated by escalating anger gets more unpleasant as it grows. And there's a natural pressure to discharge this anger physically. You want to do something now. And so you begin to file through a short list of responses learned during your past episodes to get yourself relief. Number five, angry behavior. Up until this moment, you haven't done anything yet. To be sure, you have experienced quite a few changes on the inside, but nothing much has happened on the outside, yet the pressure is mounting. Now it seems that this pressure will lead naturally to the last and most destructive component of this process, which is often some form of aggressive behavior. At the dramatic end, this includes shouting and screaming and pointing the finger and flouncing away, hitting somebody, breaking things. Sometimes anger is a more subtle eye roll, a look of disgust, crossing your arms and looking away, deep contemptuous sigh, cutting comments, sarcasm, gossip, emotional and physical withdrawal. You can cycle through these five anger stages again and again and again during a single anger episode and likely see it playing out multiple times over the course of the day. So learn to differentiate each piece of the components of anger. Number one, pre-anger. Number two, trigger thoughts. Number three, angry feelings. Number four, the impulse to act. And number five, the angry behavior. When you're able to do this, it helps you to stop struggling with it. Okay, here's another tip and exercise. Additional tools for being an observer. What chess can teach you about your anger? Even if you don't know how to play chess, this this tool can work for you, okay? So think about the game of chess. You have two players. There's a black team and a white team. And with the pieces that move in specific ways across the board, each team wants to capture the other team's king. When one player makes a move, the other player will counter with a move that is offensive or defensive, strategic or reactive. Now imagine for a moment that you are part of this chess game. The pieces of one team are your anger triggers, and the pieces of the other team are your responses. For example, when the Black Knight attacks, this idiot is so lazy. Then you move your bishop to a square where he threatens the knight that attacked you. Oh, I'll show him. Looking at your experience, ask yourself if this has ever worked with your anger, even when you've managed to knock out one of your angry triggers, hasn't another one emerged to provoke you into action? There's a tricky problem in the chess game because unlike a real chess game, it's not a game with different players. In this symbolic game, the two opposing teams are really one, and that's you. The thoughts, feelings, and actions on both sides of the board are your thoughts, feelings, and actions. 
they all belong to you. No matter which side wins, one part of you will always be the loser. So how can you win a competition where your own thoughts and feelings compete against each other? It's like waging a war against yourself, right? And this is a war that you can't win. So the battle goes on every day for years, and you feel hopeless, and you sense that you can't win, and yet you cannot stop fighting. So let's take a step back for a minute. Look at the situation differently, okay? What if I said those chess pieces are not you? Can you see what else you might be? How about the board? Let's suppose you're the board in this chess game, okay? This is an important role because without the board, there is no game, right? The role of the board is to provide the platform where the battle takes place. And it provides the grid on which the pieces move, right? So as the board, you can see all the pieces and you can just simply watch all the action without taking sides. But if you're a player, the outcome of the game is very important because you've got to beat that anger as if your life depends on it. But then we look back at the role of the board. The board doesn't care which team wins or loses. The game just happens. Who wins or loses doesn't make any difference to the board. Being the board is a great relief because you don't have to take sides. You're just the place where the game is played out. So when you're observing your angry thoughts and feelings, you notice that some are painful and some are scary and you might not like what you think or feel and you wish you felt differently. But as the board, you can choose to be an impartial observer who watches the game as it progresses. You don't need to be a player. You don't need to have a stake in the outcome. Just remember your thoughts and feelings are all part of you but they are not you. The chess analogy may help you when you're having trouble separating yourself from your angry thoughts and feelings. You can tell yourself, I am not on one team or the other. I am the board. Next tool, the mental DVD. Sometimes it's impossible to track everything that's happening during an anger episode. Things move very fast and furious. You'll get swept into the upset and stop noticing key thoughts and feelings. But you still want to understand what happened. You still want to look under the surface of that anger and see what's going on there. The mental DVD is a great technique for recovering forgotten details of a recent experience. So you start by closing your eyes and you take a nice deep breath. And as you release it, you try to let some of the tension drain out of your body. Now imagine a white hoop of light just above your head, like an oversized halo. And the hoop of light starts to descend, surrounding first the top of your head, then moving down your face, neck, and shoulders. Try to relax each area of your body as the hoop passes. So take another deep breath and visualize the hoop descending to your upper arms and chest, then to your forearms and your abdomen. Take another breath and watch the hoop descend to your hips, thighs, calves, then disappear beneath your feet. 
With your body more relaxed, take one last deep breath and then focus your attention on the anger episode that you want to understand. Start in the middle where you're fully angry and imagine you're watching everything on a DVD. Observe the scene for a minute. You're really steamed, you're really pissed, and on this disc, there's a voiceover of your thoughts. So listen to what's going on in your mind. Now notice any memories or images that have been triggered. What are your thoughts? Do you have trigger thoughts that paint the other person or situation as bad or wrong? Keep listening until you hear hear the words of this inner monologue. Now the anger is coming. Watch it as it grows. Notice what it feels like, what it makes you want to do. Don't do anything about your feelings. Just be the house with thoughts, emotions, and impulses moving in and through the windows and doors. Or be the chessboard and just let your feelings be. Just observe. Okay, and we have just a couple more. Riding the wave of anger. This is a cool tool. So right now you have a chance to learn to ride the wave of your anger rather than being tumbled about by it. Think of a recent situation where you felt mistreated, upset, or unjustly attacked in some way. Visualize the scene and try to recall the irritating things that were done or said. Notice your judging and your blaming thoughts. Keep focusing on the upsetting scene, as well as the judgments that you made about it, and let your anger rise until it's about a 4 or 5 on a scale of 1 to 10. 10 being terrible rage, 1 being fairly calm. Okay, good. Now go back to the white room. Observe your thoughts. Label the judgments. The thoughts are not right or wrong, true or false. Acknowledge their presence without trying to control them. And don't try to push them away. Just take a deep breath and keep watching your mind. At the same time, I want you to notice the emotional wave in the room with you. Be aware of the point where your anger stops climbing. Feel it leveling off and starting to diminish. Experience the slow ride down the back of the wave. Accept wherever you are on the wave. Don't try to force yourself to get past it. It moves at its own speed, and all you can do is just let go and let it carry you. Just like you would on a surfboard in the ocean. Just watch your thoughts entering and leaving, and notice the progress of the wave. Nothing more. Just keep watching it until the anger has passed. Okay, and our final tool. This is anger management techniques, um, tools, techniques, and exercises. This one is called Drain the Brain. So when do you use this? You use it when your temper is bad. It's beginning to flare and you know you're about to explode. 
and this technique mentally challenges you before taking your anger out on other people. So here's how to do it. You ask yourself, what is the source of my irritation? What is the degree of my anger on a scale of 1 to 10? 10 being rage, 1 being a little miffed, okay? What is the other person's role in the situation? Turn the circumstances around and see how you would want to be treated if the other person felt the way you feel. These mental gymnastics can help you regain control over runaway emotions before they escape and cause damage. So, drain your brain. Challenge yourself. Why am I so pissed? How pissed off am I? What is that other person's role and how would I want them to deal with me if they were this mad at me? Okay? Tool number two on this one walk it off we've heard that from the coach right you know walk it off be a man <laughs> or there's no crying in baseball walk it off um so you'll use walk it off in the moments when you feel that rage really rumbling you're going to take a time out and go take a quick walk and just let yourself breathe and be in the moment and calm yourself down it can be a five to 10 minute stroll. Fast paced is even better. If you can walk really fast, get some of that energy out of your body, that'll help to cool down your irritation. And this is basically practicing the fight or flight um, to escape a conflict, which is very useful with anger management and learning to stop struggling with your anger. More anger management techniques. Count to 20 before you say anything. You know, you have to remember that your first thought is always your wrong thought. Especially when your first thought is something like, hey, fuck you. Or your first thought is something like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Sometimes when we, when we struggle with anger, we have all those terrible thoughts. You're stupid. I hate you. Oh, fuck you, you know, Jerry, Jerry, all that stuff. It just, your logic takes a nap and your rage takes over. So you have to remember your first thought is wrong, wrong. So count to 20 before you say anything. Just hold up your finger, look at the other person and say, give me just a moment to process. And then one, two, three, four, count to 20. Um, if you can't count to 20 or that won't work for you, leave the room for several minutes. Excuse yourself. Go use the bathroom. Or leave for hours, a few hours if you can, before discussing this issue that triggers you. Um, write out a response to the problem before you go to talk about it. So this gives you time to think about the best approach rather than just spontaneously letting your anger fly keep a journal write your negative emotions down on paper let them flow through you out through your pen and onto that paper to externalize them and get them out of your system it's also recommended to have a pet because scientific studies show that when you pet a dog or a cat for example it reduces blood Blood, blah, sorry, 
reduces blood pressure levels and harmful toxins in your system that damage blood vessels if left unchecked. And talking over situations with a trusted friend or venting to your favorite therapist is also helpful for anger management. So learn to recognize the relationship that exists between the emotions of anger, rage, fear, pain, and love. There is a connection between all three, and the mark of a healthy individual is one where you can target the origin from where your emotions of anger are coming from. You know that it's either fear, pain, or humiliation. Um, Learn to identify the vast differences between the actions that are motivated by fear, humiliation, and pain. Again, this is very similar to what I just said with the first one, but your goal should be to like immediately identify your feelings of anger and the feelings of anger from other people and where they come from. You know, anger is a secondary emotion. Underneath anger is pain, humiliation, or fear. So understand that having courage is a result of an anger, love, connection. Having courage to face the problem, you've shown yourself compassion and love, right? This results from being angry with someone that's a a necessity in your life. You can be angry with yourself or a partner and you approach it with love and acceptance and understanding. And you need to do that with yourself every single time too. Begin to consider how anger shows up and when it is felt and expressed in conjunction with love. Healthy couples and those that stay married for long, long time have mastered the art of this. And it is the ability to decipher and communicate through anger when dealing with the person they're in love with. Learn to do this and you'll find it will attract a lot more loving people into your life. And you will have a lot less conflict in your life. And that is the end of tools and exercises for ending your struggle with anger. So go out there and put these tools to use because you're worth it. You deserve it. And it's time to end that struggle.